This is the Blue Bloods, and we are back with more off-season content for all our listeners today. Today, we talk all things SEC football and recap a wild season in the Deep South. We also bring in a new segment today. We have some debate topics. These are going to highlight some of the biggest storylines in college football. Today, we discuss the Scott Cochran's departure from Alabama signaled to the end of the Nick Saban dynasty in Tuscaloosa. Plus, we also found out Joe Burrow has extremely tiny hands. Does this signal his demise in the NFL? And the ACC and Big Ten have proposed a new transfer rule that we'll kind of break down for you guys. And we'll give our opinion on, will this actually solve the transfer portal issue for for college football? We have a full show today, so let's kick it off. So we'll start with the SEC recap. We kind of compress this segment so we have time for our debate topics. So this is actually one of the conferences that we did predict before the season. So I had to go back. Brandon had to go back. We had to pull the receipts. Who was who was just out of their mind and who was correct? I just want to say your boy had LSU and Georgia in the SEC championship with LSU winning the SEC and making it to the playoffs. So, I mean, I'm not a bragger. Like Brandon is, but I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna talk you know a little crap here because I was probably one of the only people in the country that really was as high as you know I was on LSU. See, you really just didn't have to go in and call me out like that. Uh, you could have done anything else. Um, kind of a waste of time, if you ask me. But here we are, and you're right. I mean, you got it exactly right. I didn't. I can't say that much. I mean, and I hate that. You know, if I could go back in time, I would. Uh, probably be rich too if i like a time machine that'd be kind of sick but i had bama and georgia in the conference championship uh obviously i was halfway right i think i had bama in my in my playoff too i can't remember um i'll have to go back and check the receipts but yeah i mean things didn't really pan out exactly the way that either one of us said they would i mean you can't say that you nailed down every single bit uh I mean, but you said before we even started recording that you had these records laid out. So you want to go ahead and hit us with those? Yeah. So going back and looking, I had five of the SEC West teams in the correct position, but only three of the SEC East. Not a good look for your boy in the SEC East. I don't feel like anyone's good at predicting the SEC East. I mean, even if you look across at Brandon, Brandon only got two of the SEC East teams and he only had three of the SEC West teams. If you're keeping count, I hit eight teams. Brandon only hit five. So I'm just saying Brandon might have won pick six this, you know, past season. But uh, I think I'm going to, you know, put the little title of, you know, the SEC champion over here on my head. Yeah. The good thing about that is that no one's sitting here betting on final positions of teams in the SEC East and West while people are betting on games. So uh, if you want to go ahead and thank me for that now, I'll be accepting those. Uh from now until, let's say, I mean, today's Thursday, uh, till Sunday. So just shoot me a DM, do what you need to do, and uh, I'll get back to you. 
Yeah, go go follow go follow your boy on Twitter. Uh, DM yeah, him some money. <laughs> yeah, yeah, go ahead. My cash app is nah, but. Uh, oh, I appreciate you know. I love every single one of you, and that's why I give out these uh, winning picks. I guess Zach can pick final positions. I don't even know. That's that's ridiculous. Analytics, man. Analytics are the future. Everyone needs to shift their focus to analytics. Don't follow your heart anymore, guys. Analytics you can solve never, everything. Never follow your heart. What is that good for? Where does it ever get you? Following your dreams. I mean, <laughs> I can't. I couldn't tell you. <laughs> it has you starting a podcast. Um, yeah, you're 23 years old, and you're, starting a, and, you're, and you're doing a podcast on, on Wednesday night. Uh, a lot of other people are out having fun. You're in college, and then you're just recording your podcast with your buddy who lives across across the United States. So it's pretty sick. Sick gig. <laughs> so, yeah, guys, we're going to move on to a surprise player that each of us, you know, really felt like encompassed this conference. Like, so it's, it's a player that no one saw doing – what they did this uh, past season. So, Brandon, I have a feeling I know who it's going to be, so just hit me with it. What? Who is your surprise player? All right, let me go ahead and do this real quick because I don't want to just give you my player. I, we need to play around with this. You know, I like to have a lot of fun on this podcast. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and read some stats. I'll go ahead and read these 2018 stats for you real quick. Uh, my player went 219 for 379 passing. Uh, that's a 57.8 percentage uh, completion percentage, uh, 2,894 yards with 7.6 yards per attempt, and finally 16 touchdowns to five interceptions. And then this past season, they came out of nowhere. No one saw this coming. He wasn't in Heisman talks uh, before the season started or anything. He ended up going 402 for 527 passing. 76.3, that was his, uh, his completion percentage, with 5,671 yards in the air, 60 touchdowns, 6 interceptions. Mr. Joe Burrow, our Heisman winner, come on down. You were my surprise player of the year because who, I mean, who saw this coming? I didn't, I mean, uh, I couldn't uh, see it coming. I wish I could have, but I just couldn't. I thought he was going to be good. That's why I picked LSU to win the SEC, but I didn't think he was going to be this good, and I'd be lying to all our listeners if I said I did. No, man. How could you? It's just that's night and day. I mean, he went from 16 touchdowns to 60 touchdowns in one season. That's just passing. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and be like, oh, he's a mobile quarterback, but I mean, I mean, what? He got he got 368 yards on the ground this season. Last year he actually did better, which is nuts. He had, he had 400 yards on the ground last season with seven touchdowns, five touchdowns this season. But through the air, I mean, it was just night and day for Joe Burrow. Yeah, I, I think Joe Brady met, made all the difference, man. And, I mean, let's not sleep on this guy's wide receivers. I mean, between Justin Jefferson and, I mean, Terrence Marshall. And, I mean, dude, this dude had so much talent. Yeah, I mean – I mean, obviously, and I miss Jamar Chase. Like show. Jamar Chase, uh, yeah, Jamar Chase was his leading receiver. I mean, the, the guy was insane. I mean, we all knew that, though. It's not, it's not like we're hiding that. We're not saying Joe Burrow is running this on his own, but I mean, if you had to pick one quarterback out of any quarterback this season to have on your team, who would you want? Joe I mean, Burrow, Mister Mister yeah. Joe Burrow, has to be. Ah. Uh, uh, you know, except for his tiny hands. Uh, we'll get to that later, but I don't know if yeah, I want his tiny hands on my team. Whatever. Get out of here. All right. Who do you, who do you have? 
I have another SEC quarterback. He played in the SEC East, though. I think this guy encompassed surprise player. And I I, I have Kyle Trask for, from Florida. Um, oh, wow. He replaced okay. Felipe. Yeah, he replaced oh, Felipe yeah. Franks after his ankle injury at the Kentucky game. And actually, in his first ever game action this season, led Florida to a comeback win over Kentucky that really set the course for the Gators' season. And, you know, he had almost 3,000 yards passing, 25 touchdowns, only seven interceptions. And this was a kid that didn't even start at his high school. He sat behind De'Aaron King. So this is a guy that hasn't started a game since like ninth grade. And he comes in and leads Florida to the Orange Bowl, a win over Virginia, and really and truly was one one win or two away from making the SEC championship. I mean, this kid's only losses as a starter are to LSU and Death Valley in Georgia. Yeah, that, yeah that's stout, right? And I, I, I personally have him ranked as a top two quarterback going into the season next year for the SEC. And yeah, I mean, uh, he, he's he's definitely talented. Um, you know, no one saw where this kid was coming from because no one thought this kid was going to play. I mean, everyone was banking on Felipe Franks, uh, which obviously, I mean, his injury uh, caused him to sit, and now he's transferred even. So I don't know. It's Kyle Trask came out of absolutely nowhere, and I mean, he put he put Ford on the map. Really, I mean, people thought Ford was going to do well preseason with Felipe Franks. I mean, I could have. As a matter of fact, I did tell you they weren't going to do well with Felipe Franks. Uh, then Kyle Trask comes in, and Florida ends up second place in the SEC East. That, that is stout. You're right. Yeah, and they were probably one play away from beating Georgia. They lost that game by seven points. And people forget they were they were leading at LSU late in that first half. Yeah, people forget that. And really had a chance to win it until the fourth quarter. So I think Kyle Trask encompasses what that – what this, I guess, award would be like. I mean, this superlative is surprise player. I don't think there's one listener out there, one analyst out there, that if before the season you said a guy named Kyle Trask would lead Florida to the Orange Bowl, every single person in the country would have bet their house and kids that that was probably not the case. No, yeah, and that was a good word, by the way, superlative. I'll go ahead and write that one down. I'll look it up later. It's that, it's that um, good old GRE word. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a great word. Um, I had a couple honorable mentions, though. I don't know if you had any, uh, but I wanted to go ahead. I mean, the, the guy that I thought you were going to pick, the second you said SEC East, I was like, oh, well, he for sure. I thought you were going to pick Lynn Bowden Jr. because that encompassed a surprise, right? He he, he was he was, uh, he was was third on my list of like potential people I was going to pick. Yeah. So uh, I think Lynn Bowden Jr., the only reason I don't think – he encompassed it as well as Kyle Trask is because Lynn Bowden Jr. was one hell of a wide receiver before he had to step into the quarterback role. So everyone knew he had talent. No, no one knew he was going to have to step in for quarterback because every quarterback on Kentucky's roster got hurt. That's that, that was a surprise, but his talent and his ability to win games was not a huge surprise to me. If that, if that makes sense. Um, I mean, cause people forget, I mean, he was, a really, really good wide receiver slash skill player before he had to step into his quarterback role. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, he was he was great. Um, I mean, I wouldn't say that. Uh, I don't know. He was he was very good. You're not wrong. Um, 
I mean, last year he had 745 yards receiving, which, you know, that's, that's fine. I mean, it's, it's really good actually, but uh, this year just to come out and I mean, he played quarterback, but I mean, he was rushing the ball most of the time. So, I mean, it was, it was just impressive. I mean, to see him put up almost 1500 yards on the ground this season, uh, I thought that that constituted um, being in the conversation at least. But anyway, that, that was that was just my honorable mention. I want to go ahead and mention him before we moved on. Yeah, and if I had to, if I my number two, I wanted to try to stay away from LSU. I didn't want to try to show too much of an LSU bias. My number two was going to be Clyde Edwards Hilaire. Uh, I I don't I don't think anyone saw what he, saw him doing what he did in the offense that he had. I mean, I think he was the spark plug for this LSU offense that set records. In college football, you know, record books everywhere. So I think Claude Evers Hilaire was the spark plug. I think he was the underrated tool that Joe Burrow had to have to make everything click. I think if you take Claude Evers Hilaire out of that offense, I think, I think LSU loses to both Auburn and Alabama. Right. I mean, you're, you're right for sure. Um, <clears throat> anyway, so let's go ahead and move on to our next segment. What do we have? Yeah. So we got, the biggest game of the year in the SEC. This could be regular season. This can be bowl game. Whatever you would like. It doesn't even have to be between two conference teams. It's, it's just a game that really set the tone for the season and really defined how the season turned out. And since I made Brandon go first last time, I'll take this one. I have Florida at LSU. There Week we seven. LSU took the 42-28 win. And... Yes, I know a lot of you guys were probably expecting LSU at Alabama, but I think this Florida game played a bigger role in the run LSU made this season. And I think the Alabama-LSU game is third. I think the Auburn-LSU game was second in playing a role in LSU doing what they did this year because I think that Auburn game showed that even when the offense isn't clicking, that defense had enough talent to keep them in the game and that everything would click eventually, and it taught them not to panic. And that became real important later in the Alabama game when Alabama was storming back and really important when Clipson jumped up on them early in the national championship. So I think Florida and LSU and Auburn and LSU should be picked before the Bama-LSU game. But people forget this was a battle of undefeated teams coming into week seven. Florida and LSU were both six and zero, and you know Alabama was experiencing some problems. They had an inexperienced defense. All their linebackers were out. Two true freshman starting linebackers. Tua was showing some signs of slowing down. I mean, everyone was expecting an injury. And, you know, they there was just a lot of questions about Alabama. So this was really the battle to determine what team would be a threat to Georgia is LSU going to take that next step and really contend for the SEC title or is Florida behind the arm of Kyle Trask out of nowhere? Are they going to shock the world and win the SEC? And I I really think this game defined the SEC season. I mean, you had LSU and Joe Burrow with their Heisman momentum setting the country on fire and Florida had an unheralded quarterback that was playing out of his mind. People forget Kyle Trask, played outstanding, but threw a costly interception in the end zone late in the second half. I believe Derek Stingley got that interception and really saved the game for LSU and let them pull away late. Yeah, uh, it was a great game. I was there, not to brag, uh, but fantastic game. Um, and I really do think that you're right when you say that kind of uh, 
that that played an important role in, in LSU's run there toward the end of the season. Uh, but I'm going to go ahead and differ with you. Uh, you mentioned the LSU-Alabama game would be your third best game of the season. I don't know. I, I'm going to give that one a top place. Uh, that's been a milestone that LSU hasn't conquered since 2011. You know, they haven't beat Alabama. To go into Tuscaloosa and do that and do it in the fashion that they did it, I mean, it was a 46-41 win. Um, and, and you've heard me on this show before mention that the game wasn't that close. I feel like LSU definitely had uh, had it more under control than that. Um, I'm trying to make myself feel better. I mean, I was on the edge of my seat the entire game. I don't even think I was talking to you. You know, I, I typically text you or text some of my friends during the game. I think my phone was just up. I like I was I was that anxious during this whole game. Um, but I mean, this game really I think gave LSU the confidence they needed. I mean, this game was in November. Uh, it was right there toward the end of the season. I think it was week uh, week nine. No, it was week ten. Or 11. I don't know. Anyway, so it, it, it definitely gave LSU the confidence they needed to uh, make their playoff run uh, and, and everything else. And they ended up, obviously, winning the national championship. And I think this was a big motivating factor in that. Uh, I think you're right when you say that this Florida game uh, was, a, was a huge factor. And I think you're even more correct when you say this Auburn game was a big factor. You know, the Auburn game was the closest game LSU's played all season. And people don't talk about that nearly enough. I mean, that was the team that gave LSU the most problems. Uh, but but LSU uh, surpassed all of these, and I think that Bama was that final obstacle they needed to pass over, and they did. And uh, after that, it was – I'm not going to say it was like an easy ride, but it was uh, – I think that LSU played with a different kind of confidence after the Alabama game. Yeah, uh, for sure. And I mean, I'm not discounting how important that win was for LSU. I'm just talking about – conference wide I feel like it might have been a little overrated and like you said it was a big win for LSU because getting over that hurdle was so big and so I think that's where that importance comes from is just can LSU get past Alabama rather than this game had ramifications you know across the SEC and if I had to pick you know some runner-ups I think it was shocked a lot of people. I'm biased that I wouldn't pick the Iron Bowl. I'm, I'm assuming a lot of y'all probably think I would go with that just because Auburn won, but I wouldn't. I would actually say it was two games tied for second for me, and that was the LSU win over Texas on the road and the Auburn win in Dallas over Oregon in the first two weeks of the season. I think right. those games played a big role because it it showed that even when – SEC teams don't play their best, they can still pull games out across uh, against the better teams in the country. You know, LSU goes into a hostile Austin crowd in Texas, pulls out a shootout that no one thought they could do. This was before anyone knew what this offense was. And this is when Texas was a top 10 team, guys. Like the perception was huge. And Joe Burrow goes and makes enough plays to get that win. And then you look across the state, Auburn's down 21 to six late in the, I believe late in the third quarter scores late and pulls off just a massive comeback and throws a last second pass to win that game. That I think that for the perception of the sec just further solidified how dominant this conference really is in a national on a national scale. And then you can even include the Notre Dame, Georgia game, Georgia played terrible during that game and Notre Dame still couldn't get it done and I think that speaks volumes to you know 
what how strong this conference really is. Yeah, one last runner-up or honorable mention that I'm going to give uh, for this conference. I'm going to have to say Georgia, South Carolina, and I, and I was the same weekend as the LSU Florida game. Um, Georgia obviously lost that game, and I think and I think I'm mentioning it for the same reason that I mentioned the Oklahoma uh, Kansas State game on the last episode or on the, on the last recap episode. Uh, I think that that game really showed the weaknesses that Georgia had. Uh, I think they kind of exposed Jake Fromm for what he was this season, which was a much worse quarterback than he was last year and the year before. Um, and I think it showed that Georgia, even though they looked strong coming out of the gate this season, they had their weaknesses and they weren't invincible. And so that, that, that was a big indicator for me. Um, of how this conference is going to unfold. Obviously, Georgia ended up making the SEC championship game, but we saw what happened to them once they got there. And that is just, I mean, that's that's a testament to how, you know, and, and I'm going to sound biased, but I, I think we both believe this, um, of how dominant this SEC West division is, especially more so than the East. Yeah, a, a thousand, a thousand percent, man. And I mean, I, the West coming up in this next season – Oh, Lord, man. I mean, you have Mississippi State with Mike Leach, Ole Miss with um, Lane Kiffin, Nick Saban at Alabama, Gus Malzahn at Auburn. I mean, it, I mean, you still got Coach Owen at LSU, and then you still got Jimbo Fisher at Texas A&M. And then you got Sam Pittman, who's one of the best assistant coaches at Arkansas. I mean, it's, it's going to be a bloodbath in the SEC West in the upcoming years. Yeah, for sure. So we're going to move on to – our newer segment, it's a debate-style format where we talk about the biggest storylines in college football. Um, so to start this off, it's going to probably be the biggest news of the offseason so far, guys. Um, Scott Cochran announced he is leaving Tuscaloosa for Athens to officially become the, become the special teams coach, which ended his 13-year tender, tenure in Tuscaloosa. Saban has come out and publicly said he supported the move and Cochran has wanted a new role where he would be an on the field coach and that he wants to become a head coach one day, but Bama had no such role to offer him. So this is a huge loss. This was probably one of Saban's most valued assistants. So Brandon, much has been made around the country about what this is signaling, what this encompasses for this program and do you think that this could signal the end of the dynasty in Tuscaloosa, especially since Kirby Smart and Georgia stole Cochran right out of Saban's hands? And what are your thoughts on some of the opinions that we've heard in recent days about this? Yeah, I think it's the same thing that we hear all the time from college football offseason news, and it's just an overreaction. I mean, this is what people love to do. Go on to any, uh, I mean, any fan site, go on to any, whatever you want to go on, and just watch fans overreact over every single little bit of news. And, and that's going to be a common trend throughout what we talk about today, by the way. That's just, that's, this is foreshadowing. Um, people love to overreact. It's just, it, it gives life to every single little thing that there is possible to talk about. Um, but anyway, no, it's, come on. I mean, Scott Cochran was obviously a big part of this Alabama program. He was their strength and conditioning coach. So not an on the field role. Um, you know, he's, he's not a coordinator. He's not, you know, he, he's not sitting here uh, calling the shots. So, I mean, he wants to do something bigger than that. Obviously, he wants to be a head coach one day is what he said. 
So he's not going to do that sitting there and being the strength and conditioning coach for Alabama. Um, do I think Alabama's dynasty is over? No, not necessarily over. I think that, uh, I mean, it's, it's Nick Saban. Uh, as, as long as Nick Saban's there, I think that their dynasty hopes are still alive. Um, and I, I think that this is just a testament to the kind of guy or the kind of coach that Kirby Smart is and the kind of program he's building at Georgia. Uh, that he can he can snatch up one of these guys, one of these saving assistants from out out from under him. You know, he was a saving assistant himself at one point in time, and he can just do that now because he's built these relationships up. He's built relationships up with not only people that he coached with, but with people at that university because he has the connections there. And so, while I think this is a great thing for Georgia, I don't think it's the end of the world for Alabama. I, you know, and, and like I said, people love to overreact, so that's all that we're going to hear. What are your thoughts on it? Call me overreacting. Do I think I this is going to be the sole factor in ending the dynasty? Hell no, it's not. I mean, Saban has lost, uh, I mean, what, probably over 20 assistants at his time at Alabama. And oh, yeah. we were on a streak of multiple years where he lost uh, offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, linebackers coach, secondary coach. So is the strength and conditioning coach really going to make this collapse? Probably not. But here's where I'm coming from. I think we don't know part of the story. I, I, it doesn't add up to me. So one, Cochran is one of the most famous off the field coaches in the country. I mean, outside of the handle handlebar mustache at Oregon and the guy who's probably eating steroids for breakfast at Northwestern, I don't think there's a more popular strength and conditioning coach in the country. I mean, how many strength and conditioning coaches do you know, Brandon? And listeners, let me know if you know more. Have a commercial that airs weekly in the town that that college is in. I mean, not obviously. Yes. And he plays a role in recruiting, man. I mean, you don't think recruits know this guy and don't want to train under him after seeing how many people that he's trained that is now in the league? I mean, I mean probably, but it's... You know, it's not, you know, if I'm a recruit, I'm not sitting here going, oh, Alabama lost their strength and conditioning coach. Might as well, tra- I mean, might as well flip my commitment somewhere else. I'm not following him to Georgia. He's a strength and conditioning coach. But, I mean, if you're considering Georgia and Alabama, doesn't that play somewhat of a role? And how many recruits in the country are really doing that? I would say a majority of the top recruits have Georgia and Alabama in their final, let's say, 15 teams. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, they're both. Very strong. I mean, they're contenders in the SEC every single year. So obviously, I mean, you're going to have the contenders for every conference as your choices if you're one of those top players in the country. Yeah, and I mean, so here's why I think there's more information here, guys. So one, Saban has said, uh, personally said, that he knew Cochran was looking for an on-the-field position, but Alabama had none to offer. So just hear me out, guys. Cochran has long been one of Saban's most valued employees. I mean, we can, we can agree on that, correct? Yeah. Okay. If you have a valued assistant who just wants to be, let's just say, a special team coach, why not let him do that? You're already paying him. I believe he was the third highest pay strength and conditioning coach. Why not let him be the special teams coach? And Because he has the knowledge to do it. And it's not like... I know the argument is going to be, well, who is their special teams coach? He's probably been there forever. He's going into his second year as a special teams coach. His name is Jeff Banks. 
He is not a long time saving assistant, and he came from Texas A&M under um, Kevin Sumlin and Jim, Jimbo Fisher. And you know, the thing that gets me is I don't know if how many people know this. Scott Cochran has been on every staff that Nick Saban has won a national championship with, going all the way back to LSU. Yeah, it's. I mean. So here is my theory. We're gonna throw out theories, guys. This is this might have you pissed. This might have you like, wow, I didn't think of that. I think this is a sign that Saban is thinking about upcoming retirement. Eh. I think I'll, I'll offer evidence. I'm not. I'm not just basing my claims off of anything. And it's because Kirby Smart has already tried to hire Scott Cochran, and Saban made him turn it down already. It happened in 2012 when Kirby Smart left for Georgia. He offered Scott Cochran a job at Georgia, and Cochran said he didn't want to leave Saban. So what all of a sudden has changed? Yeah, I, I mean, that's definitely – I mean, that, that wasn't necessarily my theory. Uh, I'll get to that later, but, I mean, I guess I can kind of see where you're coming from. I don't know. He probably wanted – I mean, my you know what I'm, what I'm going to say with this, and I'm sorry I'm stuttering here, but uh, – I think that he wants this job now. I mean, obviously, I mean, he's not getting any younger. It's not like he's an old guy. I mean, it's Scott Cochran. He, what is he? He's in his 40s. Um, but he's not getting any younger. I mean, we see head coaches all the time now. I mean, we see them in the NFL. I mean, we see guys like uh, uh, like Kyle Shanahan. I mean, he's 40 years old. He's in the Super Bowl. If you want to be a head coach one day like Scott Cochran, you're not going to sit around and be the the – I mean, you're not going to sit around and be the strength and conditioning coach forever. He obviously, he wanted the special teams coordinator job, uh, and he had to go to Georgia to get it. You know, you mentioned that the guy that Alabama has right now, um, I wish I knew his name. I feel bad just saying the guy. but Jeff uh, Banks. Jeff yeah, Banks. Jeff Banks. Jeff Banks, uh, he's Alabama's special teams coordinator. What are you going to do, fire this guy? I mean, he hasn't done anything wrong just because someone else needs a job. I mean, you're not going to sit here and be like, oh, well, you know, we had, you know, we had a we had a decent special teams unit this year. We're going to fire you though, so that this guy can have a job. You're not going to do that. I mean, if they have well, an if a opening, better applicant comes along, yeah, but that's, I mean, that's not how I you mean, build relationships, Zach. That's that's just that's pushing somebody uh, else Saban out. Saban doesn't care about relationships. Like Are you kidding Saban me? Saban does not care about relationships. What? Dog. Oh my gosh. Okay, so like, if we're talking about Saban building relationships, you don't think it played a role that so uh, this is a I was going to segue to this in a in a second but we'll go ahead and talk about it because I think it relates S- Cochran asked to te- inform the team that he was leaving and say goodbye and Saban denied him that opportunity okay uh, and I mean uh, I I, th- I think if if someone's been on your staff for as long as Cochran has and you're such good friends and you respect each other and you're trying to make sure those connections are the same I think that that gets approached differently. I'm telling you, I just, it's just all the information we have just isn't adding up to me on that. And this isn't saying Jeff Banks is bad. It's just, I, I think it could have been an upgrade. Yeah. But I mean, when's the last time that you heard about Alabama firing their coordinators? Alabama doesn't fire their coordinators because Alabama's winning championships right now. So, well, I mean, I don't know. It's just, it's hard for me to swallow. I understand what you're saying about the relationships thing, by the way. Uh, I'm going to get around to that. Uh, I guess it's a little bit different here. I mean, he's trying to preserve a relationship with a guy who hasn't done anything basically to piss him off. 
Scott Cogburn left for another SEC team, you know? And I understand, you know, while I'm on Scott Cogburn's side here, I think that he needs to go ahead and move up that ladder. I get it. I mean, you're not going to sit here and be like, oh, well, you've been on my coaching staff forever. I mean, you're coaching this other team now, but you're, you've been on my coaching staff forever, so I'm going to let you talk to my team. No. I mean, he's not going to necessarily preserve that relationship because of that. But I can almost see where you're coming from. But it's just, to me, it's two totally different situations. The thing is, like, I mean, so we got the special teams coordinator, right? Right. How bad has Alabama kicking been? It's been bad, but, I mean, how bad was it this year? Pretty bad. They missed a field goal to lose to Iron Bowl. Yeah, but when when else do they when else do they miss kicks to lose games? That's the one time you. I mean, that's the one time that you're thinking of because obviously that was a close game. Um, but I mean, what are you going to do? I mean, it, that how can you blame that on the special teams coordinator? By the way, yeah, it, uh, it doesn't uh, special teams involves the kickers, so he works directly with the kickers, correct? Yeah, but he misses one kick, and that's the special teams coordinator. That's not fault. one kick, bro. They have like they lead the country in most missed extra points. Okay, well, that's tough. That's real tough. It's, it's pretty tough. Yeah, I guess. But uh, I mean, I have the number one number. kicker in the country. Phone number. You want to talk? You want to bring this up with him right now? <laughs> I, I can get him on the phone. Well, we can invite him on the show. But yeah, I just I just think there's something missing with this man. I I really don't think I think something's coming out and. I really think this could be a sign that Saban's think about retiring. And it's, I mean, so if he gives him the role on the field at Bama and he retires, is there, what are the odds that the incoming head coach gives, lets Cochran keep his position? How often do we see staff turnover when a new coach comes in? Yeah, you're right. Um, and so you send them off to Kirby Smart, who they have a previous relationship with. And you start clearing house, man. I mean, because really and truly, the, from what I can, if what I know off the top of my head, that was the last staff member that Saban had deep roots with. Yeah, I mean, that sounds about right. I mean, like we said, I mean, turnover at Alabama is incredibly high because it's such a dominant program. I mean, these coaches want to move up the ladder, and that, this is just adding to my argument. These coaches want to move up the ladder. So they're going to go seek out other opportunities when they don't have them where they're at. So I don't know. It's just to me, it doesn't it doesn't always have to be more than what is at service level. I guess that's I guess that's where I'm at. Well, we'll we'll just uh we'll just move on to our next topic because I cannot wait for this topic right here. This is this is going to be Brandon's favorite topic of all time. So. Reports out of Indianapolis and the NFL Combine have said that Joe Burrow's hands measured at only a measly nine inches. This is among the smallest hands for a potential first-round quarterback since 2008. Joe Burrow, in response, jokingly tweeted that he is considering retirement due to this development and and it has caused an uproar among sports analysts, fans, media, all kind of people have an opinion on this. We're about to share ours. It should be noted that reigning Super Bowl MVP Patrick Mahomes came to Burrow's defense, and Mahomes' hands measured at nine and one-fourth inches, a little bit bigger than Burrow's, but he said he had no problem holding up his Super Bowl trophy. Brandon, do you think Joe Burrow is now primed to be a bust because of his Burger King tiny hands? I mean, okay, so... 
First of all, no. Second of all, let's play a game that I like that I like to call uh, guess the quarterback or guess their hand size. So I'm gonna name. I'm gonna go ahead and give you the inches of of these players' hands. I want you to guess who they are. Okay. Let's go. You ride with me? Okay. All right. So let's go. Let's go ahead and start out with. 10.375. Those are pretty big hands. Must be a good quarterback. Mm. I feel like it's not. I feel like that's like Jamarcus Russell. No, it's Paxton Lynch, Zach. Oh, God. That's, that yeah, might be worse than Jamarcus Russell. That's giant, right? Okay, yeah, let's, play, let's do another one. Uh, let's go with um, Let's go with 9.25. It's not Patrick Mahomes. Oh. Ooh. Nine point two five. Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, is it Jared Goff? No, it's it's Jimmy Garoppolo. So both quarterbacks <laughs> in this year's Super Bowl had nine and a quarter inch hands. They didn't seem to have a big problem, Zach. And now let's go ahead and switch this over a little bit more. <laughs> let's go ahead. And I'm going to name the quarterbacks' names, uh, and you're going to guess how big their hands are. Okay. Oh God. Okay. All right. Let's play Mitchell Trubisky. Uh, I'm going to go with like 10 and a fourth. No, 9.5. Oh, okay. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. And then <laughs> finally, let's do, let's do one last one. Let's go with, uh, let's go with the quarterback who fumbles, let's say all the time. Uh, Tom Savage. Mm, I'm, let's go like 11 and a half. No, 9.625. Those are all bigger than nine, and we've all seen what, what Joe Burrow can do with the football. He fumbled the ball four times this past season. I've got the stats. I'm not even looking at them. They're all in my head. So he fumbled four times this past season. All, three of those were his uh, were his fault, I guess is what you could call it. One of them wasn't. I don't even know where I read that at. I don't even know what that means. But um, anyway, only 75% of the fumbles he that he had this season were his own drops. Um, so, I mean, let's, let's give this kid a little bit of slack. I mean, he's been playing in the SEC. He's been playing at a very competitive level. And by the way, where have we gotten this narrative that, that hand size matters for quarterbacks? What do we think? Their hands are going to end up, they're not going to be able to hold the football with their tiny hands. Is that what we're going to say? No, it's ridiculous. Well, I mean, okay. Can, can I ask you something, Brandon? Okay. Does it ever rain in Death Valley? Never. Never. Okay. So, so rain makes the ball slippery, correct? Right. Oh, that's a good point. That's a good does point. It, People the, forget the, this. The, does, oh. the, does it ever? Does it ever rain in Cincinnati? All the time, yeah. Okay. How cold is it usually on average for Baton Rouge? Since you know you're pretty close to Baton yeah, it's, Rouge. It's, so I would say it's. Uh, are we talking about yearly average? Talking about during football season. During football season, I'd give it like a like an eighty, like an eighty degree average weather. Yeah. Okay, so what's the average tip do you think for Cincinnati during the NFL season? Yeah, it's a little bit colder than that. Yeah, so cold, wet balls are hard to grip with nine-inch hands, Brandon. I think that's what the scouts are trying to say. Yeah, that's what we're saying right now. Okay, I, I get what you're saying. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I, want, I want to do one more quarterback hand size, Zach. Oh, God, and okay. you tell me, you tell me how good this quarterback was, if they were good or bad, just based off of his hands. Uh, 8.25 inches. I'd say average. Eight and a quarter. Oh, that was Michael Vick, Zach. You think, I would you say think Michael Vick was average. I mean, he was good running, but like, uh, and he didn't really fumble a whole lot running, did he? He, he held that ball. <laughs> he never even tucked true. it. He never even tucked and ran. He just held uh, his ball on the ball. You know what? I, I'm on the other side of this argument, Brandon. 
Can you name the other two first-round quarterbacks with hand sizes similar to Joe Burrow? Yeah, Patrick Mahomes had nine and a quarter. He was a he was like no, 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 no. The exact measurement. So Joe Burrow's at nine inches. Can you name the other two quarterbacks that were at that size or smaller drafted in the first round since two thousand and eight? Oh, uh, two thousand eight. That's tough. Why, Kyler Murray, right? Negative nine. Really? Nope. He's like ten. Oh, Jared Goff. Jared Goff's one of them, and. I think Ryan Tannehill had nine inches. Ryan, Ryan Tannehill, Ryan Tannehill was the other one. Would you say those are great quarterbacks? I think Kyler Murray has potential. I mean, Kyler Murray had ten inch hands, so oh, that he's not bad, in this bad. debate. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Jared not Goff. Yeah, I think Jared Goff's pretty good. It's pretty good. Like, would you, would so you're a Saints fan? Would you be happy if you know, Breeze retired and y'all got Jared Goff? Uh, I would prefer Teddy Bridgewater, which he's going to leave okay. anyway. Okay. Okay. Well, I'm just saying, okay, he's mad at Jared Goff. And so I'll start out with this. I'm torn on the issue. One, do I think Joe Burrow is going to be a bust? No, I don't. I'm really high on Joe Burrow. But did, do I think that if this wasn't somewhat important, they would waste their time measuring these guys' hands? Also, probably not. But even though it's important, I think there's exceptions to all rules. As we talked about Patrick Mahomes, not a big hand guy. Joe Burrow might have to retire because his hands are so small. But the saying I love the most is film does not lie. I mean, I don't know about you guys. The The film on Joe Burrow is, um, uh, I don't know what words you like to use, Brandon, but I like to say exceptional. I would say immaculate. Yeah. I mean, he has the accuracy the mindset, and the leadership, and he just has that it factor. There's something that pops off the screen when I watch this kid play, and I don't think he's the best quarterback in the draft. I'll go ahead and say that. I don't – I think everyone knows. I don't think he's the number one quarterback in the draft, in my personal opinion, but I still don't think teams should not draft Burrow in the first round just because of this one measurement, and – um. He's worth a first-round pick, in my opinion. But I think it's funny that Jared Goff also had a similar size hands because I was. we're going to do our draft preview coming up here in a, in a month or so because the draft's coming up. I And I was thinking of pro comparisons for our upcoming episodes, and I actually think a current player that reminds me of Joe Burrow in the NFL is Jared Goff. Okay, I mean, that's not it, the worst comparison in the world. It's not a good one, but no, it's it's definitely not. It's better than being like, "Yo, he reminds me of Marcus Russell coming out." Uh, yeah, um, I, I mean, it, I, that 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 could get um a little dicey. I would I would say, don't you don't you think? I mean, Joe Burrow six four, Jared Goff also six four, similar hands, similar weight. I think they have similar playing styles. I I think they're about equally athletic. They have, I would say, moderate to above average arm strength. I don't think the arm strength is exceptional on either one of these players, but I think the thing that separates Burrow from golf is his leadership style and his mindset. Golf is a little bit more laid back quiet than Burrow, but I think that's a great comparison. And I mean, Jared Goff did get to a Super Bowl, So, I mean, I, I don't think this should deter teams personally, but I do think it will matter some, especially with a bad offensive line in Cincinnati after Burrow just got done playing against the best offensive line in college football, according to the 
voters because LSU's offensive line did win the best offensive line of the country award. Yeah, uh, you're right. And, and I don't know. It's just something about this hand argument, this hand debate has rubbed me the wrong way. It's just, come on. It's ridiculous. Why are we measuring hand? I mean, I get why they're measuring hand size for a quarterback. But, I mean, does it really matter? I mean, if you looked at the chart, I mean, I've looked at a few charts uh, comparing hand size to, like, fumble rates, and they're just inconsistent. Like, it doesn't really matter. I mean, we see – I don't know. Is that what we're worried about here? We're worrying about, about fumbling the ball? Or are we worried about their hands won't be able to throw the football? I mean, like, we haven't seen that yet. I don't know. It's a ridiculous debate to me. And even if he has nine inch hands, which nine inches, that's, that's plenty. Uh, let me tell you, that's plenty. Um, I wish I had nine inch hands. You know, if I had nine inch hands, whew, watch out. But um, no, it's just this whole debate to me is ridiculous. So well, I just can't wait till we move on from it. Well, I mean, I've already expressed my concerns about the combine and people putting too much stock into it. So I think it just falls back to. Like you said, all season content is needed. And, you know, if someone has tiny hands in the combine, I think everyone in the world has to talk about it. And I think there's a lot of LSU fans that would say they would love to have um, his tiny hands come back for one more year um, in Death Valley. Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd love that. I'd like one more season with with the nine inch hands. They're okay. nine inches. That's that's sizable, Zach. I wish you would quit saying tiny because we're gonna get the ruler <laughs> out. We're gonna start measuring our hands. Oh man! So one last question, Brandon. All right. Do you think they make the hands, I guess, scaled to size on his statue when they put it outside of Tiger Stadium? I don't know why we're doing this right now. This is a ridiculous question. <laughs> I'm gonna no comment. Oh, God. Uh, only here so I won't get fined, guys. But so we're going to move on to our last topic, guys. It's a big one. I think me and Brennan are going to have strong feelings on this. And uh, I'm kind of ready for this one. So in case you didn't see, the Big the yeah, the yeah Big Ten was the first conference to announce uh, their revolutionary, in quotations, idea that every D1 player across all major sports – should have the opportunity to transfer programs once without the penalty of sitting out a year. This was backed by the ACC last Monday and will be up for a vote come April. So, and this will be a hot topic across multiple conferences. It's already a hot topic among coaches. Currently, players are forced to either apply for a waiver, which is highly inconsistent. We look at situations like Justin Fields, Said he got called a racial slur, got a waiver to play at Ohio State. On the flip side, we have players like Luke Ford that transfers to Illinois and because he wanted to see his his grandpa that had cancer wanted to see him play. They didn't give him a waiver. Sad story, guys. His grandpa literally just died and never got to see him play in college. So NCAA, highly inconsistent. That breaks my heart to hear. Um so, and if you don't apply for a waiver, you could take the junior college route. We've seen plenty of players do that, you know, a la Cam Newton. Junior college route, won the Hosman Trophy. That's great, guys. Or you could sit out a year if they decide to transfer. You look at players like Kyler Murray that took this route. So, Brandon, what is your take on this proposal? And, ha- and you know, do you think this will be applied next year when it comes up for a vote in April? And do you think this will actually solve the transfer portal crisis or this player rights crisis that we have right now in college football? 
It's not going to solve anything. Uh, I, I agree with it. I think that I think that this should be allowed. You know, if I had a vote, I would vote in favor of it. At the same time, I don't think it's going to fix anything. I mean, it'll it'll fix a few problems, but there's always going to be more problems. Like that's just how things go. Um, and that's not to be a downer right now. That's just being realistic here. Uh, there's going to be other problems that arise. There's going to be problems with this. They're going to be like, oh well, I transferred once. Why can't I transfer again? You know, things like that. Um, you know, and I, I usually like to side against the NCAA uh, just because I think that they're a ridiculous organization uh, making profit off of players that can't make a profit off themselves or couldn't until just recently. Um, do I think this will pass? That's tough because I don't even know like what percentage of coaches, what percentage of, I mean, ADs or whatever, whoever's voting on it. I don't know what percentage has to vote in favor of it for it to pass. Um, if I had to guess, I would probably say yes, it'll pass just because of the big push for uh, players' rights recently, which is a great thing. You know, we, we had the discussion earlier this season on whether players should be able to make money off their likeness or not, or, or if players should be paid uh, to play. You know, and I was in favor of that. I think it's I think it's a great thing. I think that players deserve to be paid for what they do, what they're making money for their university for. Uh, and in the same in the same uh, I don't know. At the same time, I think the players should be able to transfer and be able to play when they want to play. I've never necessarily understood, hey, you can not you can play here, then you transfer, then you can't play the next season. That just doesn't make sense to me. Uh, I mean, I get it at some capacities, like say that you're playing at Auburn, say that you're an Auburn player, uh, and you go play for this team for the whole year. You have their playbooks. You understand everything. And then you want to transfer to Alabama. You transfer the next year with no good reason. You just want to play for them. Okay, well, you have all their plays. You have everything. And so I guess things don't really change that much from year to year necessarily. So you just have things figured out. I get that. But, I mean, come on. How often is that actually happening? I mean, are there actual spies at these programs? No. These are these are college kids. These are kids who want to go play football, and they want to make the most of their college experience. So whether that be, hey, I'm not getting enough playing time here, uh, so I want to go play here, or whether that be, hey, I need to go be closer to my family. Uh, whatever the reason is, I think these players should have an opportunity to move around uh, at least one time, and I don't think there should be a penalty for them moving colleges. I mean, is there a penalty for you or I moving colleges if we want to transfer? Uh, I mean, no, you, you transfer and you go ahead and get your education the next year. You know, you don't have to sit out for a year. So why should athletes have any, have any other difference? Ah, uh, I don't, I really hate this proposal. Um, I, I oh, think you, it, you, I, you hate good things. You really do. No, I really don't. Okay. So hear me out. Um, <clears throat> I feel terrible for not liking this, because I do think that players should have freedom to, to for some mobility within the system. But I think a plan like this will lead to a lot more problems than people are thinking about. So I'm going to refer. So, I mean, I think we can all agree Mark Rick was a really good coach. Uh, uh, we can all skip past the argument on that one, right? So this is he's a strong opponent of the system. So... He tweeted about how he, as a recruiter, because Mark Rick can recruit guys. I mean, do you forget how much talent Georgia had under him? He said that his plan would be you can have these players that, you know, might need some time to develop, right? So these, um, I guess, gems in the rough. And 
he said as soon as they develop and they get better, they grow into their bodies, guess who's coming knocking on the door? Uh Mark Richt is and guess what? He's gonna take he's gonna take that player after you just invested all that time and energy on that player. Uh and so pretty much he thinks players will be recruited throughout their career and once they, you know I I just I think that this could be a real big problem with recruiting throughout a career. So this won't be a problem for LSU, the Alabamas, the Clemsons, the Oregons, the Ohio States, the Michigans, the Auburns of the world. This is going to be a problem for the Memphises, the SMUs, the Utah States, the Boise States, the Appalachian States, these group of five schools that have these supremely talented players that we love watching. They're not going to have the ability to compete anymore. I mean, so last year, Jordan Love comes into his junior year. How many teams do you think would be recruiting Jordan Love as a sophomore to come back for a year of eligibility across the country, Brandon? Yeah, I mean, probably a lot, but I mean, it's not, I mean, what's to say that teams aren't already doing this? You know, I mean, players can get these waivers and they can get them for almost anything. I mean, I understand the NCAA is super inconsistent. That's a whole different issue. The issue here is that players should be able to move freely to a team that they can have an opportunity at. I get what you're saying. I get that players will be recruited, but what's what's stopping coaches from doing that right now? I mean, you can see a breakout freshman star, and then he's being recruited because he still has three years of eligibility. You know, yeah, if I mean, he sits out one year, who cares? I and mean, that doesn't even count against his eligibility if he sits out for a year. You know, he's yeah. sitting out for that year, and then he goes and plays three more seasons for this other team that he's being recruited by. I, I, I get that point, but there is still the there, there's still the possibility of having to sit out a year or. Like I think there's a bigger reward that there is no penalty because let's say there is a freshman that played. So you take away his redshirt year. So at that point, if you played as a freshman and he is immediately eligible, you still have that redshirt year to play with at that point in case an injury comes up later in the career. It gives the universities a lot more freedom, I think. And I, I just think it, it's going to eliminate a lot of the parity in college football that we love. Memphis isn't going to be the 17th ranked team in the country because players like Antonio Gibson and Brady White and um, DeMonte Coxie and Kenneth Gainwell, they're not going to be at Memphis for very long. I mean, yeah. you put in all this time and effort to develop a player, to recruit him out of high school, just to have a bigger program with more to offer, steal him away. Because – if I'm at Memphis, what's and Bama comes knocking with all these perks and these like all this other stuff? Like, what stopped me from just being like, man, screw this place? Like, I know you like you guys are paying for my college. I know you guys are giving me a place to live. All this kind of stuff, and they're just like, uh, I'll be all right. And you know what happens then? So like, there's scholarship limits. I mean, the, right now there's scholarship limits. So if 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 they go and get one of these lower players that i mean are you going to start giving the school's ability to cut players yeah I, uh, yeah okay i, I mean and then so I, I just the thing that really gets me about this is i i don't think one we could trust teams because it is against the rules to recruit players right now once they're signed to a school but if you have this rule how is that going to be like enforced at that point because 
how's a kid going to know he wants to transfer if he doesn't know who's interested? Right. So therefore, that's a big risk on the kids' part. And I'm not saying there shouldn't be a new rule. I think I think they should have to tweak it though. Like I don't. I'm not saying this should be the rule, but I'm just saying like a possibility is you have to decide if you're transferring before the end of your freshman year or before your junior year, or like give a deadline on this kind of stuff, like for the kid to announce or something like that. I think they're going to have to play with that. I feel like this was rushed. I feel like the NCAA and some of these schools are panicking because there's a lot of players voicing their frustrations. <clears throat> Excuse yeah, me, but. Yeah. I just, uh, it's this. This is not free agency. Like you're not a professional player yet. That it just is what it is. Like like we talked about on this show before. This is an internship to show that you should go on to a bigger company, the NFL, and make millions of dollars playing this game. I mean, you you're a business major. You're gonna have to have an internship before you get like a job out there for a real company. I, I'm like literally getting my PhD and I'm still going to have to do an internship before I get a job, even though I just went through 20 something years of school. So, I mean, this whole narrative that players have no benefits, no rights is just an absurd, it's, it's an absurd argument in my opinion. Right. No, I mean, you're still wrong, but we, we can talk about that another day. This is, I don't know. You're right. They do need to be. <laughs> this can't just be, hey, here's a proposal. Uh, let's fix this right now, which they may do. You know, that, that still may be the case. But um, I don't know. You're right. I, I don't agree with every single little bit, but I think it's a step in the right direction. So, uh, personally, so, you know, I'm not going to knock down something without offering something in return. You know what? I think uh, the, the first rule they should fix before this is allowing players to have on campus jobs. I or think just a player jobs in general. I yeah, mean, they don't, for sure. Can't work. Yeah, for sure. Like they should be able to have an income, and you know the rule about making money off their likeness should also be erased. They should be able to go to autograph sessions. They should be able to make a little bit of money on the side, and I think that will head off a lot of these problems. Man, players will be happier, and you know if they want to have an on campus job, what's what's stopping them? Yes, they have a tough schedule. So an on campus job would be more realistic than really like working off campus. Like, I mean, does a football player really have time to go work somewhere off campus? Probably, probably not many of them on top of right. school and everything else they do. But the on campus job is reasonable, man. Like, what, why can't they work in the main office or work, you know, one of the restaurants on campus? Like, they should have a chance to make money and send money home to their families. And I think that's a way more pressing issue than the transfer portal. And the argument is, well, coaches can, you know, come and go as they please, but that's like an unfair comparison. The coaches at their real job, like that, that is the career they prepared for. And at one time they did not have that job flexibility that they do now. Nick Saban has not always had the flexibility he has now in his career. They had to start somewhere as a grad assistant or something like that, where the flexibility really wasn't offered to them. So I just I just don't like the mentality that some people are looking at this. Like I, I don't know I don't think players are being taken advantage of as much as people would like to claim. Right. No, I mean I'm not gonna say I agree with you there, but I, I, I hear what you're saying. But yeah, so I mean that that's my take on it, guys. Uh, let us know how you feel. Uh, you, you know, if you send us your opinion on this, we will share it on the podcast. We'll give you a shout out. 
Um, you know, we've had some things in the work where we want to get you guys more involved. So let us know how you feel about this. But for right now, that is a wrap on this episode. Guys, um, we have so much coming, but we can't really announce it yet. We got special guests coming. We got new segments. We got new episodes. We're in the works building a lot of stuff for you guys. Brandon can tell you it's been a lot of work recently, but we're here bringing y'all content as always. I mean, we wanted to make these recap episodes a little bit more interesting for you guys. So um, definitely listen, subscribe everywhere, guys. We're available everywhere. We're waiting on approval from iHeartRadio. So if you want to use that, just wait. We're working on it. But Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, CastBox, Radio Public, anywhere you want to listen, we are there, guys. Go subscribe. Go leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. We love you guys. We appreciate all the ratings. Social media at the underscore Blue Bloods. Um, Facebook at the Blue Bloods pod. Twitter at the underscore underscore Blue Bloods. Go check out previous episodes. We got interviews with Blake Ferguson, Don Munson, Dave Hunziker, Chris Blair. I mean, it, it's loaded, guys. Go check out previous recap episodes. Stay tuned for more content. We're coming back at you guys next week with more episodes but until then we out We're going to move on. Last topic today, guys. 
wrap this up on a on a big one. I think this is, might get a little heated because I really feel like me and Brandon really differ on this. And in case, yeah, hold on, <laughs> I had to edit this out. <laughs> that was really funny. Uh, shoot, okay. Uh, at least I have the time. I was trying to type the time into the night, but forty-five, and then. I'm going to count you down again, okay? And just start over from the beginning of that segment. All right. All right. Three, two, one, 